Well, good morning, TVC family. As, as Eric mentioned, I, I serve as the global pastor for our broader WBC network. I last had the opportunity to be with you at Missions Fest time for our Missions Fest classified event. So I see a few familiar faces from that evening. Uh, and I'm delighted to be able to, to bring to you this morning uh, God's word from Isaiah 9. One of the things that I note in, in the gospel of Luke is that Luke says about Mary that she heard and observed these things that were happening, the appearance of the angel to her, uh, the shepherds who came, uh, when Jesus was dedicated in the temple and, and God moved people by the Spirit to come and, and speak over the the newborn child. Mary uh, observed, she heard and saw these things, and it says in Luke two times, she treasured these things up in her heart, and she pondered them. She thought deeply about them, over and over again, rolling them over in their mind to understand more and more of God's revelation and his doing. And so, may the Lord help us to treasure what we hear in God's word and to think deeply about it with his help. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For to us, a child is born. To us, a newborn son is given. These familiar words of Scripture, promises of a Savior, are ones we anticipate and recite each Christmas. In our culture, during a season of shortened days and freezing temperatures, these words warm our hearts. They pop up in Advent readings. They might prompt memories uh, for you of a candlelight Christmas Eve, evoking comfort as we sense God's kindness breaking through. Light in darkness, hope in despair, a balm to our broken selves. These p familiar passages from Isaiah 9 spark a flame of hope in our mire of shame and misery. The prophecy was even more startling, though, in its original context. Around 700 B.C., centuries after the golden age of God's people in, in Israel, uh, centuries after the kingdom of David and Solomon had fractured, and the power of the tribal provinces had, had dissipated. People had drifted far into disregard of the Lord's commands, ensnared in the worship of idols and the deities of neighboring peoples. By willingly rejecting the worship and kingship of, of Yahweh, of the God Most High, they brought judgment upon themselves. We're familiar with Isaiah chapter 9, not so much with Isaiah chapter 8. Let's 
rewind a little bit and listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 8. The Lord speaking says, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, a place where God had revealed himself and, and met the people of Israel. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria with all his arrogance, with all his pomp. He will sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the necks of all the people. Ruthless foreign powers, first Assyria, uh, then later Babylon, would invade and destroy cities, decimate the population, and carry off captives to their kingdoms in the east in what's present-day Iraq. Uh, if we take a look at the map here, uh, we, we see uh, the area of the Middle East and the area in green is the kingdom of Assyria, which rose to power uh, in, in the 700s and ended up uh, conquering Syria, then Israel, uh, the northern part of the, of the Hebrew kingdom, and all of Judah everything except Jerusalem by 701 B.C. A hundred and thirteen years later, Jerusalem itself would fall to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And, and the kingdom would go into captivity. Let's continue on in Isaiah 8. The outcome for those remaining in Israel... This is what we read. Distressed and hungry, the people will roam through the land. They will become enraged and looking upward, curse their king and their God. Then they will look down towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into absolute darkness. So this is the context into which Isaiah 9 breaks in. Uh, likely, you have experienced seasons in your own life of despair, of significant loss, maybe of not only uncertainty, but fear, panic, of bitterness over how things have gone that prompts you to fire darts at people around you, the government, <laughs> uh, whether the previous or present president, but perhaps also at the Lord your God. And say, Lord, where have you been? 
you have shortchanged me. And I am in bitterness and anger and hopelessness over what's ahead. So maybe you've experienced a season like that in your life, or maybe this is a season like that in your life. Either way, let's listen anew to the words of Isaiah 9. Chapter 9 begins with, nevertheless. Even though your reality is such, even though the reality of the people of Israel was such, nevertheless, listen up. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, the Lord humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the northern tribes. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. For the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, for them a light has dawned. And we look at the, the map again, and, and we see uh, the northern territories of Israel, of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, in Isaiah's day, became what would be known as, uh, in, in the first century, the land of Galilee, the land of the nations, because it was a, a part of Israel of which over the years, kingdom after kingdom after kingdom had conquered the people. Uh, the population had been deported. Foreigners lived there, built their cities through the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Greek Empire, and finally the Romans. But there's one coming in the intervening uh, verses in, in chapter 9, there's one coming who's going to cause rejoicing like people who are pulling in the harvest or like soldiers who are divvying up the plunder of a battle won. There's one coming who's going to break the yoke of oppression, the bar across their shoulders, uh, the rod of their oppressor who's beating them, uh, and and implements of war are going to be burned and done away with for good. Because, verse 6, to us a child is born. A son is given. And the government, the rule, the authority is going to be on his shoulders. And he will be called by these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now this next part, maybe to some of us, doesn't sound like a good idea. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Some, translates, uh, some translations say, uh, will be ever-growing. Some of you may not be in favor of ever-growing government, but this 
is a rule of righteousness, of justice. That the arrogant are humbled, the low are lifted up, and things that are wrong are made right. Things that we say, how I wish, become reality. And the passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Uh, through our Advent series, uh, we're looking at, at these four titles, and today especially thinking about Mighty God. What does this title mean as a child of hope born among the people of Israel? What difference does that make to me living in 2021 in Streamwood? Throughout the scriptures recorded through the history of God's people, there were, there were whispers of a deliverer, of a child of blessing, of a king who would come and rule with absolute authority and true righteousness Guided by God's spirit, this one would uniquely become the presence of the Lord himself among his people. I want us to give ear to a few of these whispers from scripture for telling the coming of the one called Hamashiach, the Messiah. So I've asked a, a few members of our congregation to read scriptures. Let's listen to, to five scriptures of prophecy, each given through a different prophet, through a different period of time, but all pointing to one to come, this child of promise. Uh, we have our reading uh, of these scriptures beginning in Numbers 24. Emmanuel, God himself among his people. In John chapter 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The eternal expression of God's character and being and truth. Through him all things were made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was not able to snuff it out. The true light that gives light to every human being was entering the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name and his identity and his authority, he gave them the right to become God's children. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word, the eternal expression of God's perfection and being and glory became human 
and moved into our neighborhood. And we have glimpsed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The writer to to the letter of Hebrews puts it this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, uh, the one who will have authority and ownership of all things, through whom also he made the universe. I love this verse, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Uh, The sun is like the rays shining from God's being, exactly representing who he is and sustaining all things by his powerful powerful word. Why does a universe finely tuned uh, continue to function in order and symmetry because he is sustaining it by his powerful word? After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Having completed, having fulfilled what he came to accomplish, He took his place of honor and authority at God's right hand. Just a little bit about my my background. I I grew up in Ohio. Uh, My parents had a farm there. Uh, When I was a teenager, a friend of mine invited me to go to this Methodist church camp. I wasn't so much interested in the church part of it, but I figured, hey, it'll get me out of a week of baling hay on the farm, and I might meet some cute girls. So I went. But while I was there, I really, for the first time in my life, heard the gospel, the good news, that God came to live among us in Jesus so that he could show us what a right life actually looks like and so that he could bridge the gap between how we know we should live but how we all actually live. And it was that week when I surrendered myself to, to Christ. Uh, later on, I, I um, felt like a, a way I could honor uh, God would be uh, by serving others through education. I became a teacher, a special education teacher. Uh, later on, became a pastor. Uh, later on, our family uh, moved to Java, Indonesia, uh, where we lived for eight years. And I served in my background in education teaching English to university students in Indonesia at a large government university at a private Islamic university. And as we lived in, in Indonesia, we lived in a, in a kampung, a, a neighborhood uh, where 
nearly all of our Indonesian neighbors were Muslim, and there was uh, a, a masjid, a mosque, uh, two houses from our house. And every day, five times a day, we would hear the call to prayer, which begins with Allahu Akbar. God is great. God is great. He is majestic. He is awesome. He is unbounded. And every time I would hear that, in my heart I would say, yes, that's right. God is great. But the gospel confronts us with a different reality, a startling reality that God also can be small. That the one who is above all things can stoop to be like and among the most lowly. I want us to think about uh, this passage, which also follows in the book of Hebrews, as the writer talks about God spoke to us through his son, who perfectly represents his character, and, and he's seated now with all uh, authority, but this is how he entered our existence. Hebrews 2. In bringing many sons and daughters to share in his glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists. Important for us to realize that. For him and through him, we all exist. It was fitting that God should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus was not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Jesus was not embarrassed to say, hey, I'm with her. Hey, he and I were friends. We're family. We are brothers. We are equals. Since the children have flesh and blood, have frailties and limitations, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery because of their fear and death. Didn't we hear something about one who would break the yoke of the oppressor, uh, the rod of those who, who threatens them? And so Jesus is called the pioneer of our salvation. 
He's the one who goes first to open a pathway where it did not exist before. Jesus is the pioneer, the way maker of our salvation. We continue in Hebrews. For this reason, the Son had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, of whom he has now become one of us. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's also able to give empathetic aid to those who are being tempted. When we moved from the U.S. to Indonesia, we entered a different culture. Uh, When Joel and Melissa Duncan moved to Mauritania and lived there for two years, they entered another world. And their lifestyle changed, adapted. What they, what they wore, what they ate, learning a new language, all those things changed. The eternal son set aside his rights and privileges entering our frailties and limitations, subjecting himself to the injustices and difficulties of our reality. Trying to wrap my my mind around this. What is this like? What, What does this mean? It occurred to me, uh, Jesus wasn't Jewish in eternity past. But he took on humanity and an ethnicity and an address and circumstances of human beings. And what did he do when he arrived? Well, when he was first born, there were some some shepherds that came and some angels and, and later some, some people, you know the, those countries that had conquered Israel in the past? Some wise men from those countries who through the people's captivity there had heard of the Lord Most High and some of the scriptures, some of them, the Magi, came to give him honor. But for most of the next 30 years, Jesus was silent. He was simply with us, listening to us, experiencing what we experience, doing life with us.
And it's notable to me, he chose to be born into a family in circumstances by which his legitimacy, his birth, would be questioned. He chose a family of poverty. Remarkably, Jesus became a refugee before he was two years old. He learned a construction trade. Evidently, his father died when he was a teen or a young man. He was likely responsible for his younger siblings. And he ended up dying by the most unjust, most humiliating, most distressing, most painful death we could imagine. Saying upon the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. It's sort of like you would say, you know, I think um, next week I'm going to move to Kabul. And I'm going to live the rest of my life there. Without an entourage, without protection, I'm simply going to move there. Or to say, I'm going to move into the nursing home and I'm going to become an invalid who is bedridden so I can be next to those who are invalids, who are bedridden, who are dependent upon others to feed them and meet their basic needs so that I can be with them and minister among them. The eternal son entered history and became human to live as a human the holy life that God deserves. The next slide. To experience death in our place, to pay the penalty for our rebellion to open the way for our salvation, to free us from Satan's oppression, to make us holy, to call us family, to share with us his glory. 1 Timothy uh, 2 says it this way, for there's one God and one mediator, one go-between, between God and humanity, the man, Messiah, Jesus, the human divine one, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Colossians 2.9 says, in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All the fullness of who God is was squeezed into a human body in an historical existence to be with us and to meet our deepest needs, to release us from gloom and despair and darkness into light and freedom. (laughs) 
Um, let's go forward to um, Scripture, John 3. And I'd like you to uh, stand with us, and let's read this verse from John chapter 3. Uh, want us to read just the first two verses of this, John 3, 16 and 17, and to read this aloud. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Thank you. You may be seated. These verses speak to us regarding the question of why. Why? Why, if you were the eternal, omnipotent, self-sufficient Lord of all, why on earth, no pun intended, would you stoop to become one of us? This tells us the answer. Because God's love for us in our darkness, in our lostness, was of such a size, was of such a dimension. God so loved us that he gave his son, that he entered our existence, so that whoever, whoever, anyone who believes in him would not perish, would not be lost, would not be destroyed, would not, in running away from God, succeed and experience eternity without him. But Jesus came so that if we turn toward him, if we believe in him, if we trust in him, that we will know and have and experience life that has no end. Well, probably some of you are getting Christmas gifts in the mail. Uh, the other evening, we opened a package of uh, cinnamon and sugared pecans uh, from Kelly's sister and an ornament that said, uh, congratulations on uh, your first year as grandparents. Um, this, this past year was notable. We, we did become first-time grandparents. Uh, we have a son who's getting married next week, uh, and my wife and I celebrated our 40th anniversary. 
for our anniversary, I spent hours and hours and hours going to jewelry stores looking for an emerald ring for her. But that's not the most important ring I ever bought for her. Forty years before that, I bought a diamond ring, and in presenting it to her, I was hoping for a response. Do you know how how awkward and how devastating it would be if upon presenting Kelly with that diamond ring that she said, oh, uh, that's remarkable. I can note from your presentation of this gift to me that that you put a lot of thought into that and you expended a large amount of money to present me with this gift. Uh, That's really a commendable thing. No, what, what I was hoping for was for her to grasp, I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And that the appropriate response from her would be to say, Yes, I do. What is your response to God's gift of himself and Jesus to you? What is your response? You know, in John 3, we read, he was in the world, most people didn't recognize him. He came to those who should have been his own people, but they didn't welcome him. But to as many as received him, who believed in him, who trusted in his identity and and his character, He gave the right to become children of God. You know that word that John uses in his gospel, to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, is is the same word in Greek that we find in Matthew's gospel when Matthew says, and Joseph, after he had the dream with the angel, uh, in regards to Mary and the child that she was carrying, Joseph received Mary and took her into his home. This is the response Jesus is awaiting from each of us. To say yes to him, to receive him, to enter under his wing, to live in his home, to love him back. Let's pray. Lord God, we we know we don't begin to grasp 
all that you laid aside to enter into our reality. But Lord, we, we do believe that you did it, and it's because of your love for us. Lord, help each of us in, in the genuineness, in the integrity of our hearts to say thank you to you. To receive you in your love and in in your power and authority as Lord in our lives. To receive the forgiveness that you have made possible for us. And Lord, help us to walk forward in the way you have made that is salvation, that is rescue, that is an an eternity in relationship with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.